welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this installment of the People, Places, Planet mini-series celebrating the winners of the 2023 National Wetlands Awards. My name is Georgia Ray, and I am your host. The National Wetlands Awards are presented annually to individuals who have excelled in wetlands protection, restoration, and education. Through coordinated media outreach, educational events, and an awards ceremony in Washington, D.C., awardees receive national recognition and attention for their outstanding efforts. Today, I will be speaking with Matthew Huff, this year's Promoting Awareness Award winner. Matt serves as the Manager of Conservation Programs in Kansas for Ducks Unlimited, or DU, and has played an integral part in promoting awareness of the importance of wetland conservation across Kansas. Kansas DU could not have conserved approximately 78,000 acres in just 11 years without Matt. Some of Matt's efforts include implementing a comprehensive educational program for uninformed and sometimes resistant partners on the benefits of wetland conservation to promote conservation easements and finding mutual solutions to conservation issues for a diverse range of stakeholders. During his tenure at DU, Matt has reached well over a thousand individuals through calls and site visits, in addition to informing the broader public through presentations, workshops, and media appearances. Matt and the Kansas team have also secured significant funds for wetland and associated upland projects. Since 2012, Kansas DU has been awarded $25 million in grant funds, which includes nearly 40 proposals developed and overseen by Matt. Matt graduated with an AS in Agriculture from Connor State College and a Master's in Wetland Ecology from Oklahoma State University. Matt, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So to start us off, can you give us just a snapshot of your wetlands work? Yeah, it's pretty diverse. My master's work was with the Wetland Reserve Program with uh, USDA and Natural Resources Conservation Service. So I, that was the beginning of the work. From there, I went on basically straight out of grad school with the Nature Conservancy in Idaho, working with streams up in that reach, and then as an intern with Ducks Unlimited in Nebraska. So working with private landowners, public lands, starting in 2011. And since then, I've been been with DU ever since, looking to expand our programs in Nebraska. And shortly after, we started working in Kansas, and that program grew and grew. And I went from an intern to a biologist to a regional biologist, and now I'm the manager in pretty pretty short term of years as that program grew. Now I'm just solely Kansas. I work from the west where there's not much water, and we work with what are called the Playa Wetlands in the west that help recharge the Ogallala Aquifer, the Arc River, Arkansas, or the Arkansas, if you're from Kansas. They, <laughs> there's a debate on how to pronounce it. In the west all the way to the Oklahoma line. Central part of the state have Cheyenne Bottoms, which is the largest inland wetland in North America, which is very impressive, 40,000-acre basin. If you haven't been, internationally important. Quivera National Wildlife Fuge is just right there as well. And then expanding east, we do a lot of work, wetlands in the, the rainier part of the state, which have a lot of benefits to water quality. There's a lot of private lands, but also public lands there. So we have a pretty diverse portfolio that we work with in, across the state. 
Yeah, you're convincing. I feel like I need to go see those important places now. So what inspired you to get involved with wetlands work in the first place? That's a good question. I I grew up in the country on a little beef cattle ranch in Oktaha, Oklahoma, and we had a lot of floodplain and a lot of wetlands, and I think I was just drawn to them. They're always a source of diversity of wildlife, and there's always something to go see. I was always out with my little seine net trying to catch crawdads and minnows mm-hmm. and things when I was growing up. So I think it was in my DNA early on. But I was going through getting my bachelor's degree at Oklahoma State and pr- pretty much headed towards an agricultural background. And I'm like, you know, I really like going out in the, you know, the wild places more than the ag fields. But mm-hmm. uh, ironically, I do work in a lot of ag fields today, but I'm usually trying to talk with landowners into putting those back to grass and, and restoring their wetlands. So just naturally inclined to, to wetlands for whatever reason. And I'm still just super passionate about them today. Yes. I feel like that's a story we hear a lot of. If you grow up around wetlands, you really realize how important they are. Mm-hmm. So I know you approach these issues differently than those with other backgrounds. Some of our other awardees, you're our promoting awareness winner. So what makes your work unique? You know, we're coming from a standpoint in in Kansas. It's 49th in the nation in public lands. So it's uh, Rhode Island is the only state with less public lands. And and that's one of my passions is to try to look for ways to increase public access for people. And there's plenty of opportunities to do so because it's so low. But also the private lands work is very important to me. And I come from a family that's uh, in agriculture and trying to find that that common ground with people and talk about the programs that are out there and make sure that they're we're promoting things that are a good fit for them. We don't want somebody to be unhappy with their um, the, the final outcome. I always say, you know, we're not trying to sell you something that you don't want. You know, we want to make sure that they're getting into a program or going through the process that works for them. And I, uh, I kind of see our team as being not salespeople, but basically trying to look for those opportunities and find ways that we can connect people, make sure it works and make sure that they're happy with the outcome. And that, that can be challenging at, at times, you know, trying to find a fit. And sometimes there is no fit. We just want to be sure that everyone's happy at the end because that's that's our best sales pitch is, is you know, good word of mouth. You know, good, you know, happy, happy people, happy landowners tell their friends. And that's what's important to us. Yeah. And it seems like maybe what makes your work unique is it is so centered on community and centered on talking to people. And that really leads me into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, as I mentioned in the introduction, you have been really successful at meeting people where they are. You mentioned that common ground element. What are your strategies to convince people to partner on this kind of restoration work? Meeting them where they are, that's huge. You know, you know, we do a lot of workshops, a lot of educational outreach events, that kind of thing, but you don't get a lot of attendance. I mean, people are busy. People have lives that don't allow them to go to that kind of thing all the time. So it's really important to go to their house, go to their home, go look at their situation, hear them out, you know, don't do a lot of talking to begin with, see what, see what works for them, what they want, what they need. And then spent a lot of time sitting around a, a dining room table at someone's house and, and figuring out what, what's going to work for them. And, and I think that's a big part of our success is just being real, being <laughs> totally upfront and honest and mm-hmm. finding, finding that common ground that we can make these projects a success. 
And what about the broader public? If there's not somebody that's in a position to actively conserve wetlands or restore wetlands on their own land, why is it important to spend time and resources convincing these individuals of the benefits of wetland protection? Sure. that's That's been a big growth opportunity, I think, for DU in general and something we've been promoting in Kansas for a long time now. We've got examples across the state, again, from the West and Playa's that Ogallala Aquifer recharge, it's quickly declining, and that's a major source of water, both for agriculture, but also for those communities that are out there. So a big part of that economy is based on having water available Mm -hmm. in a not very wet landscape. So we usually don't even mention ducks and waterfowl when we're out at those meetings. It's talking about recharge and how to get more water into the ground and how to make sure that those communities are sustainable. Some parts of the state were focused on whooping crane migration habitat and endangered species. So that's a, a big focus of ours. Uh, and a lot of people are big fans of whooping cranes. They're pretty cool, showy, giant birds. In the east, we do a lot more work with wetlands on water quality and trying to use those wetlands to both provide wildlife habitat, but also reduce nitrogen, phosphorus, sediment going into the local rivers and streams. And that's, a you know, again, protecting drinking water. Everybody's lives are basically affected by, by wetlands, either directly or indirectly. They just may not know it. So that's mm-hmm. a big part of what we're trying to do is just raise the awareness about all those ecosystem services that, that wetlands provide and make sure that people are aware and maybe do a little bit more to protect them. And we do a lot of work in the policy side as well. So just trying to educate our policymakers and and the public about those goods and services. So we are sure to make sure that our laws and particularly we work a lot with like farm bill legislation to make sure that, that we're protecting wetlands and we have lots of programs to do that work. And if you encounter people who are resistant to your original message or your initial outreach, how do you proceed with those people? Sure. We don't butt heads too much. It's a good thing. We have a lot of farmers that have been fighting with their wetlands for years. And it's just trying to make the case that you're losing money here. You know, Mm -hmm. if this thing drowns out your crops this many times (laughs) in this many years, basically a math equation. You can take these other programs and say, okay, these would pay you to protect, restore your wetland this much. So that's usually just basic math. You can make your case from that standpoint. Folks that are more into the recreational side, birding, just more traditional conservation. We might meet resistance there pretty much the same. It, this area is what it is. Um, it's it's going to be this forever, probably, hopefully. So you might as well pr- protect it. And here's all these incentives and, and, and reasons why, as well as those ecosystem services. So we don't meet a whole lot of resistance. Makes it easier. We're usually mm-hmm. kind of a neutral party in a lot of this this work that we do. Well, that is a great optimistic note to end on, not meeting too much resistance. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.